Good evening, brothers and sisters. Uh, could you kindly leave your Bibles open in the gospel reading that we just read? Uh, gospel according to St. John chapter 17, which can be found on page 1077 of the church Bible. Also in the church bulletin that you have received, there is an outline that you can uh, use to follow as we uh, look at our passage today. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have graciously chosen to reveal yourself and speak to us in your word. Father, we thank you that by reading and reflecting on your word, we can come to know you better, and by knowing you better, know how to serve you better. And Father, I pray that you help me preach your word faithfully and humbly. May all glory come to you and to you alone. And we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Do you Christians worship three gods? How can you say you believe in one God and say Father, Son, and Spirit are God? Well, these are questions that, as Christians, we are frequently asked. And because of questions like this, many of us see Trinity as a difficult concept, something that we believe in but find it difficult to explain. So we either try to use illustrations, such as saying Trinity is like an egg, the white, the yolk, and the shell. Or that Trinity is like three forms of water, liquid, ice, and steam. Or that Trinity is like a man who is at the same time his father's son, his wife's husband, or his son's father. But those illustrations are not only wrong, they in fact represent the heresies in the early church. Or we go to the other extreme, and we avoid the topic altogether. But what I would like us to see from our passage in John 17 is that not only Trinity is not a complicated topic that we should avoid, but it's something that as Christians should make us rejoice. In fact, Trinity should shape our identity as Christians. And John 17 gives us this rare opportunity as we can eavesdrop a conversation that happens between Jesus and his Father. But before we look at our passage, it would be good to know two terms that would help us understand and explain Trinity in a much easier way. If I come to any one of you here and I ask you this question, what are you? I'm sure all of you would be answering in the same way. I am a human. I am a human being. You see, none of us is more human than the person sitting next to us. We all share in the same human nature. However, if I come to you and I ask you a different question, if I ask you, who are you? Then your responses wouldn't be the same. Each one of you would be responding with your own name because we are distinct persons. 
The question, what are you, is a question about our being, about our nature, about our essence. But the question, who are you, is a question about personhood. And we are all distinct persons. So we use those two terms, being and person, to also talk about our God. We say God is one being, so we only worship one God. But that God is also three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit are equally divine. They all share in the same divine nature. But they are also three distinct persons. And that brings us to our first point, identity. You see, our identity is who we are, is what defines us. And we are living in a world where men and women define their identity by how much money they make or by what kind of job they do or even by their relationship status. Yet what all these things have in common is that they are not permanent. They can be gone within a second. And that means we shouldn't be really looking at them as factors that would define our identity. Our identity should not be based on things or people that we can lose. The Bible, on the other hand, shows that our identity is rooted in having a relationship with our Creator. In Genesis 1, verses 26, we see that God creates humanity in his own image. And one way of understanding that is that we human beings share in some of the attributes of God, of course, to a much smaller extent. We are all moral beings, capable of making moral choices. We are capable of love and communication. We all have intrinsic value and worth. And all of these things are made possible because we have been created in the image of God. Being created in his image is who we are. And that is true of every single human being, regardless of where they live. And that is something that nothing and no one can take away from us. As Christians, as those who have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ that was shed for us on the cross, we are also seen as those who are in Christ, united with him through the Holy Spirit. And that becomes our identity, which again cannot be taken away from us. So both of these terms, being created in the image of God and being in Christ, are both relational terms. We are relational because we have been created in the image of a God who is himself relational. Interestingly, the Bible uses three other terms to refer to us as Christians. And all of those terms are also relational. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ, united by our faith in him. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 16, the Bible says that we are children of God, being adopted by him because of the work of his son on our behalf. 
And in Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 to 8, we are being described as the bride of Christ. As Christians, we find our identity in our relationship with Christ. He is the bridegroom and we are the bride. Some people claim that there is a sort of trinity also existing in Hinduism, as they have these three main deities, Vishnu, Brahma, and Shiva. But notice that in Hinduism, these three deities, they all have proper nouns as name, which means that there is no kind of relationship among them. Yet in our reading today, we see that Jesus keeps referring to God as his father, and he refers to himself as the son. In Trinity, we do not have proper nouns. In Trinity, we have the relational terms of father and the son. It is impossible to have the father if there is no son, and it is impossible to have the son if there is no father. Each person within Trinity finds his identity in the relationship with other persons. Point number two, knowledge. I want you to think of the famous people that you know. They can be singers, sportsmen, politicians, or any other celebrity. I'm sure if I ask you to tell me what you know about them, you can give me a very long list of the things you know. You may tell me about their physical appearance, how old they are, about their marriage, how many children they have, or even their hobbies. But the question is, do you really know these people? I'm sure your answer would be no. Yes, we know a lot of information about these people, but we do not really know them. We only can speak of knowing people when we are in a close and intimate relationship with them. Interestingly, the Bible uses the word know to refer to the sexual union between a husband and wife. In the Bible we read, Adam knew his wife. Sexual union is the most intimate relationship that two human beings can enjoy. Knowledge is only possible in the context of a relationship. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were in the presence of God, and they had a very close relationship with him. Yet after the fall, because of their disobedience, that relationship was broken. So now, we as human beings cannot come to the presence of our God. We cannot come to a saving knowledge of him because we have no access to him. So how was it possible for us to have that kind of relationship that Adam and Eve enjoyed with him? In verse 3 of our passage, Jesus defines eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see, eternal life and salvation is impossible without knowing God. And then in verse 25, we see the unique role that Jesus plays in accomplishing this. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. 
and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. You see, the only possible way for us to know God, to know the Father, is through the only person who really knows him, the Son. In fact, in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, we read, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. It is only possible for Jesus to make the Father known to us because he is the only one who has had this most intimate relationship with the Father from eternity past. Knowledge of God is possible only because he is Trinity, because he is relational. And as sinners, we can never come to the presence of a holy God. The Bible tells us that the sinners cannot see God and live. Jesus is the only way for us to know God. After all, he is God himself who has been veiled in human flesh and come and lived among us. If we want to know who our God is, we only need to look at Jesus. You want to see the justice of God? Look at Jesus. You want to see the wrath of God? Look at Jesus. And you want to know the love of God? Look at Jesus. And that brings us to our third point, love. Jesus said to his disciples, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The distinguishing factor about our identity as disciples of Jesus is the love that we show toward one another. Once again, what we have been required to do is a reflection of what already exists within Trinity. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 8, we read, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. This passage tells us that God is the source and origin of love. But what I want you to notice is the last part of that verse. God is love. That is something unique to our Christian faith. You see, in any religion where they talk about God and love, they use the word love as a verb. God loves us. God loves human beings. But the Bible uses love as a noun. God is love. Love is not just what God does. Love is who he is. And it is here that we notice how crucial it is for God to be Trinity. You see, we know that God has many attributes. God is just, God is merciful, and God is loving. And we know that God's attributes are perfect. If we say God is just, it means that his justice is perfect. And we also know that God's attributes do not change. His nature doesn't change because God is consistent. But that poses a problem for us because there was a point 
where God had not created anything. He had not created the universe and he hadn't created us. And then the question comes, how could God have experienced love before the creation? Who was he loving before he created the universe? How could God have experienced relationship and communication before he had created the universe? Well, the answer comes to us in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. You see, from eternity past, even before God had created anything, he experienced love within his own being because he is Trinity. The Father has always loved the Son, and the Son has always loved the Father. The three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, have always been in this loving and intimate relationship with one another. God did not create the universe in order to experience love. Our God was not lonely before the creation. He experienced love, communication, and relationship within himself because he is Trinity. Any other description of God, any other view of God makes him dependent upon creation to experience those things. But we know that that is impossible for God because he has no needs. In every religion, life precedes love. In our Christian faith, love precedes life. We human beings find our identity and meaning in having a relationship with a God who is himself relational and who has created us in his own image. We can know him because his son, who has eternally been in an intimate relationship with him, has made him known. And as disciples of his son, we are to love one another because our God is love. And all these things are possible because our God is Trinity. But what are the implications of this wonderful truth in our lives? Well, let me tell you three. Today is the Trinity Sunday, and we are celebrating that. And these truths should make us appreciate Trinity. We would see that we as Christians have been, have fi we find our identity in a God who is also relational. Who we are is shaped by who our God is. So why not share what we have learned today from this passage with other fellow believers? so that they can also come to appreciate and love the fact that our God is Trinity. Number two, realizing that our God is relational, that he is love, should encourage us to show love toward one another. After all, we are all part of the same body, and no part of body can survive on its own. Each part is dependent on the other parts, to survive and to function. We are all brothers and sisters. And as Jesus has told us, the love that we have for one another 
should be our distinguishing characteristic. The world outside should recognize us as disciples of Jesus because of this love. And there are many ways we can show this kind of love to one another. We can inquire after each other's health. We can go and visit those who are sick in the hospital. We can provide transport for those who are unable to come to church on their own. We can pray for each other. We can volunteer to serve in different ministries. We can help in welcoming and ushering. We can stay back after the service to engage in meaningful conversation with one another, where we can encourage each other by reminding one another of the gospel that unites us all. And finally, we saw that our God didn't have any need to create the universe in order to experience love. He has always experienced love within his own being. But then we might ask, why did then he create the universe? Why did he create us? It wasn't out of any need. God created us out of the overflow of the love that he experienced within himself. And if we are created in God's image, then our life should also reflect who our God is. Then the love that we have for one another should also overflow. It is only when we have love for one another within the church, within the body of Christ, that it can overflow and reach out to those outside of it. In fact, if there is no love within the church, then there is nothing in the world that distinguishes us from the rest of the world. Why should anyone be encouraged to hear what we believe if they witness no love among people who always speak about God's love? So how can we love those people outside of church? Well, we can care for them in different ways. We can reach out to the needy. We can help the poor. We can feed the hungry and many other acts that show our compassion towards them. But the greatest act of love that we can show them is sharing the good news of what Jesus has done for us. After all, Jesus' death on the cross in our place and for our sins is the greatest act of love that we have been shown. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, then someone lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus exemplified this himself. In fact, he set an even higher standard because Jesus did not die for his friends. He died for us who were once his enemies. So what greater act of love we can do than this, that we share this wonderful news with those who have not heard it, so that they can find their meaning and identity in a relationship with our God. So that they can also come to know our God and experience the love that our God has shown to mankind. And we know that God has enabled us to do so because he has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, 
We thank you so much for the reminder today that you have graciously revealed yourself to us as Trinity, that you have always enjoyed the most intimate and close relationship within yourself, even before you had created us. And Father, we thank you that you have shown us love to us who were once your enemies, who had no chance of coming into your presence because of our sins. We thank you that while we were your enemies, you sent your son to die on our behalf so that we can have the guarantee that our sins have been fully paid for and are forgiven. And Father, we pray that you continue to remind us that if we have been the recipient of that kind of love, that we are also to show love towards one another and also to those outside of our church. Father, we pray that our lives would be characterized by this love, that the people outside would be drawn by this light in our life and that they would be pointed to Jesus. Because we can only love and we can only show love when we have been the recipient of this amazing kind of love. And Father, we pray that you continue to remind us that if we truly appreciate the gift that we have received, that we wouldn't be keeping it to ourselves, but share it with everyone who hasn't heard of it, regardless of their background. Because we all know and believe that apart from having faith in what your son has done for us, there is no other way for salvation. And Father, we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.